just wait to open it. Hardy's opening my, my bottle for me because I'm a oh my God, useless. Okay, got it. You've done it? Yeah. Yes. Thanks, mate. Strong hands, so you do. That's a, that's a fun little bonus. Fun that fact. Comes really in useful when I'm as a historian. <laughs> <laughs> Just wrenching open archives. We need a strong handed historian for this task. <laughs> Where can we find one? Hi, you. Hi. Yeah. Hi. How do you how do you start this? How do you start this thing? Don't, well, I just chat shit because then when I do it, I just do a cold intro and go. Oh. Well, they went okay. to Holly Nielsen in the <laughs> home. They talk about all sorts of things. <laughs> and then, then then what happens is it just cuts into the middle. And then it cuts into the sound of your <laughs> bottle kind of crinkling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah might, I might not choose that as a start point. <laughs> you go, oh, go for my drink. <laughs> that's, that's all good professional interviewers too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got you've got a you've got a fifteen minute slot with uh, I'm trying to think of someone that you Barack Obama. <laughs> you spend ten minutes going Bar- Barack. <laughs> can you can you open this for me, <laughs> Mr. Obama? Can Mr. you open my uh, <laughs> can you open my drink, please? <laughs> well, I'll give it a try. My... Was that was that your Obama? That was my Obama, yeah. <laughs> I forgot what he sounds like. I can American. tell. You just gotta went for a deeper American. Which, to be fair, generic that's fair. American. Yeah, I mean, I can't do accents at all. Hey, so. y'all! I'll give it a try. <laughs> that's what he sounds like, right? Oh God, I'll get Edinburgh with that. Oh, no, and now, you, you Barack made... Obama opening your drink for you. <laughs> you made me do an ugly snort. <laughs> this episode of Making Games Is Fun is with Holly Nielsen. Holly is a video game journalist and historian. So we chat about when Holly's interest in both history and games began and how she sort of managed to put those two together and marry them and make them a career. So we pinpoint when all that comes together. Uh, We talk about history of games. We talk about history of gaming and how players always sort of played a part in people's lives before video games, you know, board games and, and communities coming together around certain games. We talk about how history is used in video games these days, the problems of, which there are are many, (laughs) um, and how it could be done better. Um, I wanted to get Holly on because she's very, very smart, she's lots of fun, and she has this really great specialist knowledge in, in history, and she's got a real passion for it. And I wanted to show how, like once again, there are so many routes into working with games. You know, if it's something you're passionate about, if you love games and there's something else that is your thing, your specialism or just, a, you know, another wrinkle to your personality, you know, it is often possible to marry those things together and make it about games and and get an angle on games from your perspective. And games needs that, you know, it needs that variety of voices and viewpoints and, and ways of looking at it in order to sort of broaden it as an art form. So hopefully... This chat is inspiring to some of you if you think, you might, you, know, you might not be into history specifically, but if you just think, well, I could marry what I love doing with games. I mean, that's what I did with uh, photography, with journalism, you know, and, and I made it about games because I love both of those things and, and that's what interests me. So I knew I'd make my best work in this field. I know I'm going to be saying this at the start of every episode now, but we've got a Patreon. I'll keep it quick. You're either listening to this because you've got the early access tier which is lovely, thank you very much, or you're listening to it a week later on regular old release, which is also fine. I won't boo you this week, I did last time. And if you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com forward slash M-G-I-F, that's M-G-I-F for Making Games It's Fun. And if you get on the early access tier, that's a $3 tier, you get all the podcasts a week early. Otherwise, just show your support however you want, $2, $1, or even just share this podcast out and get it popular, and we'll keep the momentum going now. Um, Either way, I hope you enjoy the podcast, and get ready for a new episode of Making Games is Fun. What I like to do, or mm-hmm. what, I, what I, well, it's kind of a pattern that just occurs actually, is that I end up talking to people who are just on the cusp of starting something new, or have just started something, yeah. or something's going to happen soon, cool. or it's happening now, mm. and I know mm-hmm. for a fact 
that in September you're going to be starting your PhD in history. I am. British board games and the ludic imagination. <gasps> You've got the title. I had to quickly look up ludic to remind me what ludic <laughs> was. I was like, oh yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's basically that like... <laughs> People, there's, there's not, right, when right now I was writing my MPhil dissertation, I realised there's not many words for play. And basically scholars yeah. that look at play are like, well, we'll just use a bit of Latin because that breaks it up. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's then it, essentially that sounds it. Right, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's at the point, I think the play, I mean, play scholarship is a very interesting thing of itself, but it's still, in many ways, it's still a fairly new field. And so people are kind of finding their own feet and their own ways of expressing things. So mm. I use... I use the term ludic imagination, which I came up with because basically I was working on my uh, PhD proposals and I was kind of thinking, I want to talk about board games, but I also want to talk about play. And I also want to talk about what they say about how people think about play and where play fits in society. And so this idea of kind Mm. of a ludic imagination seemed to be kind of broad enough that I can make it whatever it's going to be (laughs) when I actually write the thing. Uh So I thought that was a a way of getting around a bunch of stuff, basically. I suppose it gives you that scope to like broaden it and and take it wherever it goes and you're not not limited, are you, with that kind of... Yeah, exactly. If I kind of said, oh, I'm going to talk about British board games and uh, categories of age, then I'm, you know, I'm pretty much stuck with that. (laughs) You're stuffed. Um, So like, so... History, right? History in general, right? So what, yeah. what I like what you've done is you've done what I've done. Yeah. Which is taken something you're really interested in mm-hmm. and managed to like combine it with games, right? Yeah, pretty much. Just like, slam the two together, yeah. see what happens. Like, yeah. how can I make this about games? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. Which is exactly what I've done with this, right? With <laughs> photography and, you know, I'm like, I need to just make it about games because I'm like... So in general, like your interest in history, mm-hmm. where did that... When did you start with that? When did it? When um, did you think? Do you know what? I like old. I like old shit. I think I've always been. It's such like a kind of. I was a weird child, and I always wanted to be a historian, right. which is a weird. Like I feel like that. Maybe that's not uh, weird, but I kind of grew uh, up with. I read, you know, the horrible history books. I had all of them and read them cover to cover constantly. That I still have them. They're like these kind of old dog-eared things that I'm. I kind of hold on to because I'm like, well, one day I can pass on this passion, and by that point they'll probably be totally irrelevant. But I hold on to them for sentimental reasons. And then I also had just like really good children's history books, like A Street Through Time, which was a book I love, and I still like when I go back to my parents and I, it's there, and I still look at it because it's basically it starts with like a street or like a settlement in Neolithic times, and it's just the same street going up to modern times ah uh, right yeah I, didn't, I don't know that one it's yeah. a it's a yeah it's a really really good book and I'd recommend it if you have kids and also if you don't have kids because it's just a really good book and fun to look at and uh and I think that also because I'm I'm interested in I've kind of never I've never really been interested in like big events I've never been in you know so especially when you're at school doing history I didn't really like history at school which is why my right. teachers thought I was very strange when I was like I want to do history and they're like really and I'm like yeah <laughs> Because I knew that the type of history, the the way that history is taught in school isn't how history is done. Uh, And I think that's a problem in and of itself. And so, but I knew I loved history and I knew I wanted to do a different, different types of history. And I've always been kind of interested in these kind of smaller, these kind of, yeah, these smaller, more like social, cultural histories rather than like big events and war and, you know, all of this. Would, and obviously the big events and all of that feeds into social and cultural history. But I'm much more interested in these small nuances and what they say about a broader society. Yeah, it's, it's that is the thing, isn't it? With especially history at school, it's so route one and it doesn't seem to have changed ever. No. And it's always the same topics and just things like, this is a bit of a sidetrack already. I can't believe how, how new. <laughs> Maybe five minutes in and I'm getting sidetracked. It's fine. Um, just the one thing that always struck me is that I didn't know about Dresden mm. until I read um, Slaughterhouse-Five, much like way after school. I don't know, maybe like 10 years ago, something like that. Mm. And then read about that and then went and looked it up and went, holy shit, right, well, they, we didn't, we, yeah, we weren't told about stuff. that at all, like the other side. Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky thing because there's so much of history and there's so much good you know so much important stuff that there's you know you can't cover <laughs> all of that but I think I think the issue is with we're going to get into I don't you know teaching to the exam is a terrible thing and it's it and, and things like that it just really and I think a lot of kids actually do really love history but they're not allowed they're not they're given a very prescriptive idea of what it is and so they don't get to explore that and I think 
you don't get to really do research at all and that's what history is and I always argue that you know research is a really creative process it's this it's this idea of kind of you know losing yourself in something and finding something and and so I feel that's a that's a hugely important aspect that you don't really get to do at school yeah yeah and with a lot of subjects really but yeah that's I think you mentioned horrible histories and that seems to be like a major um touchstone for a lot of people like I think oh, what yeah. they did there it's, was just like because I was uh it was the books for me but then when I I uh, when I was kind of 17 I helped kind of helped with kind of uh teaching history to some of the younger kids um at school and they all knew it from the tv show and they knew so much from the tv show and they had the songs mm. and it was just yeah and it's just this huge I think it's there are just these kind of cultural touchstones every now and again like I'm almost certain we're gonna get a bunch of people interest, interested in American constitutional history because of Hamilton and stuff like that. There's always these kind of, every now and again, there's these like big cultural touchstones and people go, oh, that, that, I wanna look at that, that's interesting. Yeah. And that's, a, you know, letting people explore that on their own terms is really important. And you just gotta make sure that they have the resources to do that well and ethically and all of that. Yeah, and just to show people it's, it's beyond just learning of some dates right as well yeah and, and just I mean, for an exam yeah. like you say yeah. I have a terrible memory like an absolutely awful memory so yeah. I, never ask me for a date never ask me for a name never <laughs> ask me I have just I am appalling so I was terrible at history exams well not terrible but I was not as good as I should have been and so I always struggled with kind of exams and stuff because my memory is just appalling and then I kind of when you get past the point where you're just bombarded with uh, exams I suddenly realized I was like oh I'm actually really good at this and that's really that's really great I just want to write big long essays and spend ages reading about stuff and but exam teaching is I, I just don't like exams I don't know if that's coming across very clearly I think that you know <laughs> you don't like them go. no no it turns out no not at all I don't think so yeah they're, they're a problem <laughs> um yeah so history has been was a thing you just yeah you grabbed really early and really just like always really interested it was just one of those things really yeah I don't I yeah, I can't huh. really think of. I always. There's not I, a moment that you think, ah, oh, that's when I thought history was great. Like, I suppose it's hard to pinpoint, right? Yeah, because I was always, you know, I had the kind of classic middle class British thing of we, we, <laughs> we were always taken to National Trust properties and right, in Northumberland okay. uh, and north of England where I grew up, there's a whole bunch of amazing ones. And so that kind of, and I, you know, I loved doing that and then there's also but it also informs lots of other stuff like I was obsessed with Sylvanian families the little woodland <laughs> creatures and little like because it was Victoriana right it was uh, still right, like this okay. it's like this but not only is it Victoriana but it's little tiny woodland creatures and they're just the best things ever and you know and Brambley Hedge and all of that and so it kind of mm. informs a lot of it and then a lot of the books I would read were about uh, I had a series of books that oh god I can't remember it's gonna annoy me I can't remember basically they're a series of diaries of mostly young girl like young women or girls or sometimes uh, a few boys at different points in history and they were just diaries um and I loved them I thought they were brilliant I think again that kind of idea of kind of subverting the kind of big macro dates and big events with these kind of like personal interjections I just found I always just found really compelling when I went to universities to my undergraduate degree yeah. um I did I had a really fantastic uh, professor who uh, introduced us to kind of like micro histories, which anybody who studied history will have read, like the return of Martin Guerre or, you know, cheese and the worms and stuff like that. And, and just these really fantastic micro histories. And there's like, you know, there's all this, like I could, there's boring historiographical arguments just to be like, well, well actually let's do this or whatever. But I think it's interesting <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, I could, we could, we could be boring and go into theory, but no one wants that. No one wants to listen to that. Um, <laughs> And I think that's what I I find, I don't know, there's, I don't know, intimacy is a weird word for it. I find, because that's why my research, I've kind of gone into kind of almost kind of domestic histories. I'm interested in what's happening in the home, like a, a normal home of someone, because that's, it's, it's, I just find that a really fascinating historical location. Yeah, and it gives you, gives you a broader um idea of society as a whole at that time by seeing yeah. what does what does this person's home look like how is it set up what are the rituals within the home what is exactly the culture? and it, i think ritual is like a really important because that was my um 
we had to do my undergraduate degree pick like a specialist subject like it was like mastermind or something and I chose a ritual as mine and I found that actually has probably been incredibly formative in how I do my history kind of thinking about things in a ritualistic way and not in the sense that I'm sacrificing a goat when I look at an old thing of Ludo or anything like that <laughs> but it is because it, it, it features a lot in terms of like uh, play ac- academia around play because the idea of you know play being this ritualistic thing and being different from normality and all that kind of fun theoretical stuff <laughs> everyone loves to hear about yeah it's um let's roll into a bit of game chat right so I'm gonna try and find this point uh, where the two met Okay, yeah. Uh, we're going to work it out okay, between okay. us. Yeah. Um, yeah, wh- when did you first get into playing games? When did you first get into playing games, you think? Um, what did you play growing up? And I think games is a bit like history in the way that it's just kind of always been there. It's been yeah. a part of my... Like, play is a really important thing in my family. My, I mean, my dad has a room for Lego and loves Lego. And he's, okay. so it's always been... Play has always been... I think... I've only kind of recently kind of realised this, but actually the kind of accepting nature of play being a thing in and of itself and being an important thing and not having not it having to have this kind of ulterior meaning or kind of educational or didactic or any kind of like meaning like that and so it was always just a thing in our house and I have an older brother who had a dreamcast and so I was like I like that thing I don't really know what it is but I'll push buttons and isn't that fun and 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 then I got you know I had like a game boy and and so, yeah, I've always kind of played games. I can't really think of a time when I didn't. Yeah. Um, I didn't really play board games. A lot of people ask me about board games because obviously my research is on board games. They're like, oh, you must have played a lot of board games. And I, we really didn't as a family, but I always wanted to. Mm. And I think that's probably, I don't know, maybe I'm making up for some kind of loss kind of, because yeah. my parents, you know, are always working and stuff. And board games are this thing that, you know, it takes time and it takes everyone being in the same place. And so that's not I've always been a much more play on my own kind of person yeah. so I'm interested I think I'm interested in the kind of dynamics of group play because it wasn't a huge aspect of my own childhood yeah I think especially board games they're kind of they, they still like in inverted commas proper board games or like yeah. you know like uh, the kind of stuff that seen as the the hobby side of it is it's quite a I think by design it's quite a niche hobby because you need everyone to put the time in to learn the rules of the Mm. the, the game and 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 you know they can be pretty involved and Mm. and obviously like people get a lot out of it but the getting people together who are gonna want to do that Mm. just casually is not really something that happens you have to be in like a board game group or a community where that's the point rather than like should we just bring out I can't remember the name of the really complicated ones, but you know, uh, yeah. there's one called Scythe, isn't there, or something like that. Oh, there's there's a whole bunch of you know, stuff out there. There's, what, a, there's a lot of like, stuff. Like 700 tokens and yeah. then like like a 20 page rule. Yeah, let's you spend to, like, you know two hours just setting this up and and the phases yeah. is five phases to every turn and yeah. uh, you know and and like they're, they're cool, but yeah, I think that's that's what kind of restricts them from becoming. Uh, a popular casual thing like so you wouldn't see necessarily see that growing up at home unless yeah. you had like parents who would and into I've, it and made you play it <laughs> and I find it but I find them so fascinating because I think that's how I kind of ended up there because they were they used as such a I don't know like if you say like snakes and ladders or like everyone you know has, has, has if, even if they've not played them there's some kind of like connection there like culturally or you know often young kids are given them and so there's there they're these presents in a lot of people's lives and that's how I actually ended up because I was doing the I was well I was interested in them as objects at first almost like a kind of like material culture history look at these objects look at the rules aren't they interesting blah 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 but I was getting frustrated because although I love the actual objects themselves the thing I really find interesting is the play that would have happened with them I find the actual who's playing them, why they're playing them, where they're playing them. I find that the most interesting thing. And so, um, and I was getting really frustrated with that because I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. And then I came across an oral history collection of interviews of people from people who uh, had childhoods growing up in the Edwardian period late Vic- and late Victorian period. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that uh, out of a, th- a third of all these interviews, so, oh God, like oh, well over a hundred, so, you know, so about basically a lot of interviews they mentioned a board game by name and that uh is is rare <laughs> that's a that's a that's a thing that's like oh okay so this is 
a thing and it was also it showed because I kind of went into it thinking well board games they must be this kind of I had this assumption that they'd be this kind of middle class culture you know they're they uh you know they're material objects they can move but actually when I when I started using uh that kind of cross-section which was done as a sociological study so it had everyone's uh uh kind of class backgrounds where they were from their parents jobs things like that uh, kind of really important details and actually uh, sorry I'm saying er a lot because I'm thinking a lot apologies that's all right good there's lots of thinking happening that's and, fine uh, but yeah and so I realized that actually these board games were just as applicable to the people who grew up in had really deprived childhoods as much as the people who kind of grew up in these kind of middle upper class upper middle backgrounds yeah. and so I thought that was a really interesting thing in of itself because I think when we talk about uh, particularly working class play, we think about outdoors, we think about the street, we think about kids, which is a huge part of it and very important. But I also think there's an element of resituating the working class home as a playful site mm. that I think is an important thing to do and to think about because a lot of the interviews that I look at and, uh, and talk about, they say, oh, well, we never played indoors unless it was to play a game of Ludo or unless it was to play a game of Snakes and Ladders. And I find that, I find that unless really interesting mm. because I find that, I've, and I think board games are great because when you talk about play, it's really important to know the site of the play and what they're doing. And board games are so good because they give you the site of play. They give you like the actual board. Um, and then it's just where that board is situated. But they were often used a lot because you can basically give a board game to your kids and you know your kids are gonna be there, hopefully. <laughs> they're probably not in theory but yeah in theory um and so I've, and that's another thing i came across is that oh they're used as this almost kind of like parenting tool of like okay i'm sick of you kids you you go in that corner and you play snakes and ladders yeah. and yeah and just all the dynamics around that i just thought i was like oh okay this is what i'm really interested in like the board games themselves great really interesting but it's that that's the the core of i think what i want to do with my phd <laughs> a lot of the board games and stuff like that were you know they were in pubs they're in you know I, I focus a lot on, on domestic life but there's a huge thing of them being in pubs and public schools and all kinds of Quaker schools was a big one is that where they would they would start typically like in a, in public public houses or in mm. public places and then maybe they took it home from there or not there's a whole really. bunch of I think a whole bunch of games have interesting back like they just yeah, they come from a lot of different places. Like games of snakes and ladder, snakes and ladders and Ludo are, I would argue, direct, uh, direct from Empire. Results of Empire because they're right. originally Pachisi is what Ludo is the kind of simplified, you know, quote unquote childish version of uh, Pachisi, which is uh, uh, an Indian game. And snakes and ladders is also um, kind of uh, Indian, broadly kind of going into maybe uh, okay. other places in Asia. It's kind of more uh, and and they were brought back originally as these kind of um by colonial families as a kind of uh interesting you know a little like object like a curio, yeah. yeah exactly and so from that whole kind of uh sense so and then it gets kind of put through the commercial machine and it loses all connections with its actual you know mm, with mm. its with its uh, Is there we didn't place? steal like oh no we we no <laughs> <laughs> there's not a that's like, british game design is a is is a long history well i say british board game design i'm not going to just tar every <laughs> every british developer listening yeah, to yeah, this yeah. every victorian board game, british yeah. board game it's a lot it's just yeah. a lot of it's a lot of repurposing a lot of oh uh, yeah, yeah of course and of course it is and you think yeah yeah of course it is yeah. of course that's how it works that's that's pretty much uh yeah empire man it, it really stolen, affects a lot of a stuff stolen country yeah country of you know, objects and we're just gonna take ideas, right? especially snakes and ladders was a um it wasn't a game and well it was a game but maybe not in the way we think of it in that it was often like a spiritual exercise because it was all about karmic reflection and ah, things right, like that right, and it was right, much right. more complicated and and so and then, you know brought it back and we were just like simple yes or you know and it was uh, the early versions of snakes and ladders were often moral things but they were simplified kids games so we took the you know and the really yeah. uh, this, the original snakes and ladders boards these beautiful things and then you know and it gets put through the colonial commercial machine and you end up with this kind of edwardian moralistic children's game yeah. <laughs> were snakes still the uh the bad guys in the original uh um I, interpretation i think so but i'm not 
an expert. It's yeah, I, I it's one of these things that I've read a lot about, and like it's because <clears throat> obviously there's a Christian connotation of the snake yeah. being temptation and negative. So if you hit a snake, you're going yeah. Oh down. no, you don't want to do that. You're going down, right? I think but, there's there's definitely the snakes on them. Um, I think they're called oh god, I'm gonna I've only ever read this word, so I'm sure. really sorry. I'm gonna butcher it. Gyanshapur <laughs> okay was originally what one of the it had many names because it was there was different. Yeah. You looked to me like I was going to correct you or, yeah, no, like, or confirm. Like, right. Yeah, that sounds. Let me just. Yeah, let me just, yeah, but that's right. But yeah. I'm not. I'm not an expert sure. in the in yeah. the. It's just, yeah. Well, I've read a lot about it, but I, you know, I don't speak the language. I'm limited in 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 what I can understand and stuff. So it's. Uh, but no, it's interesting. Yeah. Let's roll back to before the whole PhD. Yeah. And let's talk about the genesis Ooh. of uh, your history, yeah. career, or, you know. Yeah. And your games writing. Yes. The, and when we started to see them both kind of yeah. squish and squish together. Yeah, when I really just jam. When I'm really just like, you know what? I'm just going <laughs> to jam these two together and see where that goes. Yes. Uh, so it started, so I did my undergraduate degree in history at King's College London. Okay. And then in my second year, I got a place to go to the University of Chicago in America to do history for a bit there. Oh. Uh, but I was very ill. Uh, and uh, turns out American insurance and uh, getting yes. a visa to go study and all of that made it very difficult. And also I couldn't, I think the exp- it was just a very horrible experience because I think the expectation was, is like, oh, well, you know, you can just stay in London until you go at any point. And I was like, well, I can't afford to do that. I need to figure out what the rent, I can't, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't have family, I can stay with here. And yeah. so I ended up not going. And then they were like, oh, well, you know, there are courses you take, but all the courses I want to do. And I was like, okay, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take a year out kind of refocus and all of that and so I took a year out uh, to get better but because I'm not very good at uh, sitting and getting better I went I went and I started doing I did it well I was working for a piece I was writing a piece for this student magazine um, about something to do with games I can't remember now and I interviewed uh, some I interviewed Lucy James uh, who was at okay. Jinx at the time because oh just me kicking stuff, sorry. <laughs> because uh, we actually went to school together. We were at the same school in Newcastle. Oh, right, okay. And uh, she was friends with my brother from university as well, and I knew she was in games. So I was like, oh, I'm going to write about games, and I'll you know, I'll ask her about a bunch of stuff. And so uh, I met up with her, and then she said, oh, the, the, the place I'm working at the moment has an internship thing, position, do you want to go for that? And I was like, sure, you know, why not? So I did the internship at a place called Jinx TV, which I think now mm-hmm. just does esports, but back then was a more yeah. general channel of 24-hour game stuff. All games all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. So it was Jinx, yep. It was a interesting experience. It was a, a formative games experience working there. I loved the people I worked with. Yeah. Um, I had a really great group of friends there, but it was definitely a thing. Um, right. Uh, so what did you end up doing there? So I was interning there, just doing general stuff, and then they kept me on as a script writer. Uh, so I did script writing for them uh, and recorded, you know, gameplay to go along the scripts and stuff like that and hand them over to the much better editors, and they made something out of it. Um, and so I did uh, bits like that there. And then I went back to university to finish my undergraduate degree and... But in that year off, I was also like, oh, I, I, I really like writing about games. Like, this is interesting. And I'd like to do it in non-script form, you know, in non-little, like, you know, five-minute, yeah. like, microbytes about games uh-huh, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. I would like to actually, you know, explore this more because it's interesting to me. And so I... Um, I, this is like my career in like my path into the industry is not how I would, would suggest anybody else do it because it's probably <laughs> really unprofessional. Um, <laughs> but I, so I made friends of a, cause kind of being in that, um, uh, place, I made friends with a few people who worked in games yeah. and I made friends with Kate Gray. Um, and, uh, and I knew she was, she was doing a, she was on a panel, I think at the Guardian. And so I went along to that knowing that the editor would be there and I had a pitch in my head ready to go. And nice. uh, and then afterwards, when everyone is in the bar, after the panel, I went up to the editor and I was like, hi, I'm Holly. I want to write about this. And he was like, 
okay <laughs> okay fair enough yeah um and i was really nervous the next day in case he didn't remember so i emailed him and he was like no no and um yeah. and that was keith uh, keith stewart yeah and uh and yeah and he really took me under his wing and because i was so inexperienced like my first piece of paid written journalism was on the guardian which is terrifying <laughs> i was like i just turned 20 i was like yeah i was 19 when i when i started then in oh, shit. 20 and then so it was a lot it was but he was great because I was just yeah I was I had no experience you know kind of didn't really know what to expect but he was fantastic and really helped me through the process and then from there I just kind of kept writing bits and pieces and then I went back to do my undergraduate degree and then when I went back to do my undergraduate degree um I took a module on Victorian London and about the same time Assassin's Creed Syndicate was coming out. Right. So I said to Keith, I was like, I want to talk to my, I want to play the game with my professor or I want to talk to my professor about the game and kind of talk about how, what she thinks of, uh, of, um, of it. And so uh, I did uh, a few videos for The Guardian and a piece uh, with uh, the wonderful uh, Alana Harris, who's the historian and she's brilliant. Yeah. And she was just, really great like I was just this random student who was like hi I want to write about this thing Will you like will you do this thing and she was just like yeah <laughs> and she was you know she had she was kind of like oh I know nothing about video games and I was like great that's like yeah. that's you know and and it was and she had fantastic insights and it was really interesting you know she was kind of because I'm less interested in you know quote-unquote accuracy I think is the most boring thing you can do with history um and but she was talking more on kind of our perception of the Victorian London and the idea like more about like it, she was so impressed by it aesthetically and what it looked like and she was like you know she was so blown away by that but it was the um the society the way that the society and culture was represented she was kind of a bit more like hmm okay interesting choice um so we kind of did some huh, videos right. and 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 uh, wrote a piece about that and then yeah and then weird it's all such a weird i'm just very lucky i think and then uh, we had a course at king's which is a compulsory module uh, for second year undergraduates called history and memory i think they still do it um and it's about basically like the uses and abuses of history in the modern uh in in contemporary you know now yeah. um and the lecturer who was leading it sent an email around which was a link to a I think it was a Kotaku piece about uh something to do with a, a game in history mm. and they were like oh this is really interesting and I was a really bullshit undergraduate and emailed back and was like oh I've just written this thing um and he was like oh that's brilliant do you want to give a lecture on it <laughs> and I was just like ah <laughs> that's I was just like oh god um and I said yes uh, I mean we waited a year until I'd graduated because otherwise that's really weird <laughs> really weird yeah there is that um, yeah um but no and it was fantastic experience again like again i think i just i owe a lot of very patient very nice people a lot for kind of really guiding me through this. yeah um you're saying you were lucky well, i don't know if it's i don't know if it's <laughs> about being lucky i think it's about like putting those things out there because it was you that said right look i've done this thing and it was, and that's relevant to what they were doing and what they were showing. So, like finding the right time to show these things or ask the right person the right thing. Is, yeah, I'm just, is... I'm just kind of annoying. I'll just turn up and just be like, <laughs> "Hey, <laughs> this is a thing." I've done a thing. Look I've at the thing. thing. Look at the thing. Look at the thing. Um. So yeah. So then I started doing <laughs> that, and I gave a lecture there, and I gave it a couple of times, and started doing a couple of lectures and pieces about other stuff and so I started writing more and more about uh, video games and history and kind of really getting into this fantastic scholarship about it that's the difficult thing is that I I write about it and I more as from a journalistic standpoint but there's fantastic scholars who actually have their PhDs in how history is used in video games so mm. stuff like Adam Chapman and Bob Whitaker and Esther Wright who are like you know actual experts in this so I, I write much more of it as a journalist kind of way but then I've also started to doing that sorry this is very long-winded mm, right. kind of doing that and writing about video games and history I kind of got interested in the fact that there wasn't a lot about history of games and history of play before video games yeah and I was like huh we kind of are really in this little digital bubble aren't we mm. and uh and actually video games are great and they are unique in lots of interesting ways but there's a longer history to be told. There's a there's there's stuff before it. Yeah, yeah. That, it, that is, I think, especially in terms of like domestic play and things like that. Yeah. So I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then 
totally coincidentally, when I was doing my undergraduate degree, we went to the Black Cultural Archives in Brixton. And there, there's a fantastic item, which is a snakes and ladders board made by a black and Asian women's group uh, set in East London in the, I think it was the 70s, they okay. made it. All right. And it's just like a homemade, uh, you know, it's you can see like the felt tip marks. It's just on like paper. It's a fantastic object. And the whole thing is about, it's, um, it's a game of snakes and ladders, but you're playing as a, uh, a woman of color at that time and so you always lose essentially it's a uh, it's a okay. protest game yeah yeah and it's a fantastic object and i was like that's am- that's amazing like that's really interesting and so i started getting interested in this idea of kind of protest games then went back to you know the suffragette games and blah, blah, blah. and and from that and then i th- and then i became interested in well this there's this whole there's there's not a lot written about board games there's some really good stuff um but it's very rare in history when you come across something and you're struggling to find papers on it. Yeah. Uh, that's very rare. Mm. And so I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And so, yeah, I just kind of got into it from that. And I've, I've been really lucky in that. I've kept kind of doing lectures and stuff like that. But I think one of my... And now when I, do, when I talk about history and games, I like to talk about history and video games, but I also like... So I'll talk about things like... Um, civilization being like a really Whiggish history in terms of Whig, meaning that it's this kind of quite a backwards idea of a, it's an old style of doing history that isn't really appropriate anymore. Okay. This idea of kind of events building on one another that leads to modernity and modernity is like the ultimate peak. Right. And everything yes, is just leading yeah. up to it. And yeah. obviously games like Civ feed into that because it's a literal progression. Huh. And yeah. I kind of talk about that, but then I talk about, oh, but there was, you know, kind of these history games in the early 19th century that are essentially the same. And actually at the very core, this, this play mechanic has been around for 200 years <laughs> and that's how we've processed history in terms of play and so there is this like longer history um uh happening there and so that's a really i love i love talking about that and i think my work has become a lot better because of it and it's yeah that's what i like doing <laughs> yeah that's interesting like a lot of a lot of those sort of games are, yeah based on what is seen as an ideal of of developing a society in a certain way yeah the civ the, the model isn't it yeah, yeah. it's like the only way to do it is to build up and up and and kind of you know improve all the technology yeah. and and and, and more like, buildings this thing and leads to this thing which inevitably leads to this thing like yeah. this idea that yeah. there's like an inevitability and a progression and it never goes backwards yeah <laughs> and there's never and the idea that there even is such a thing as it's forwards backwards. and backwards yeah, and, yeah. and all of this like all this like complicated stuff that is just really distilled into how the games themselves are played and what they yeah do. and then that and then those games tell you something about the mindset of a society yeah totally i mean nothing nothing really shows how a society thinks more about themselves and about others than how they show their history or how they show history in general um it's an incredibly revealing thing yeah especially in something like play i guess or in, or in games because that is kind of um either playing or making them people are sort of not not always but mm. as a rule people are more off guard because yeah. this is where you're relaxing this is where you're playing you're not perhaps thinking about how you're presenting yourself or how you're t- talking or thinking about big cultural political mm. ideas or concepts or structures because they're just there so when you when people kind of have their guard down either quite Mm. literally just people playing the game or just people making a board game or something or anything like that yeah all the stuff that that happens there that's a that is a very (laughs) intelligent sentence all the stuff that happens there but there's assumptions right they're built on these societal (laughs) assumptions so it's almost the purest way of looking at what attitudes really are because people aren't thinking yeah they're not yeah. too hard about what they're saying so there's so it's maybe like a a less biased yeah uh, view comes do you see what i'm trying to say i'm I'm butchering what i'm trying to say but i think yeah you know no i think I, mean? I think there's definitely because if someone's if someone's writing history i think there's a very like there's a deliberate act of writing history I yeah think sometimes when people are playing history there's a different dynamic that's going on yeah and i think it's very revealing and very interesting so the unconscious assumptions you yeah. can you can look at that's what i'm trying to say yeah thank you the, yeah. the unconscious assumptions that you see yeah in those things are a truer reflection of how people really felt and thought because they're not 
they're not trying to moderate what they're saying because they don't notice they're doing it yeah like and also like the cultural stu- touchstones of these things of like i don't need to explain this because everyone knows this ah uh, yeah yeah and kind of you know and things like that which are always incredibly revealing yeah and like with the civilization game and all those sort of those styles of games you said the old board games everyone just goes well everyone knows this the assumption is this is what what happens and what is best and what should happen yeah and now and in the future right yeah and so yeah and that's why they're really interesting and i think one of the favorite one of oh. my favorite things that i do at the moment is uh occasionally i'll go and i'll give like a lecture or talk or something to uh, game design students um and i find that really like i don't know it's it's really great because i talk a bit about that but then I also talk about how you can use history as like part of a creative process and as like really good world building. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an aspect of it is like really deconstructing what you think history is and and also using, you know, using research as this creative process. And also the idea of just like really fundamentally understanding what macro history is, what micro history is and how that impacts a game's world. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, you're writing a story, uh, you know, and understanding things about dynamics of where information comes from. So who's giving you the information in this game? Is that information biased? What does that say about this? Is it, does it have a source? You know, is it, is, there's a difference between a character in a game telling you something which therefore could be not true. It could be, or it could be, you know, what they think is true, or it could be if it's a kind of a codex with no named source, the assumption then is that that's the developer telling you directly as a player and therefore it is you know it's it's just as it is mm. and so there's a there's a dynamic there that i think it's really good to think about in game design and so i think that's what i find quite re- rewarding at the moment i was looking at the introduction or thinking about the introduction of the discovery tour mode in the assassin's creed games mm-hmm. right the it was Egypt Origins is Egypt, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Origins is Egypt and Odyssey is the Greek. Greek one, yeah. right? Um and they've had this this mode in where you can just sort of potter about and look at the stuff and learn about the stuff, which you can which you have in some of the older games, but you you could do the fight in as well. Yeah. Um but this gets means you can sort of like clamber around and, and learn stuff. Yes, yeah. <laughs> which actually like not being a great fan of the, the actual game systems in there, like I always prefer just like climbing yeah. around and looking at the no, world it's... they built. Um, well, I mean, games can give you a tactility to ancient uh, structures. I mean, you're not yeah. going to go up and climb the pyramids. No, uh, hopefully, please don't. That's uh, not not a great yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's an idea of like a closeness and a uh, yeah. There's no. I think mm. it's. I think also games are also held back a bit. Historical games are held back a bit by what we choose to focus on and particularly on violence and things like that yeah, a lot of military history and yeah and even and... yeah even the way we understand military history or the impact of war and things like that it's often you know the vast majority of war experiences were not through a gun you know we're not shooting and so and i think and yeah so many of the and i hmm, yeah those, it's, it's a thing i think about a lot yeah a lot of and a lot of those games are, are through the when it's and this is definitely not I feel like this is not a a games uh centric problem at mm. all. Um it's informed by lots of different media literature and, and films and everything. Mm. Which is the fantasy of the master tactician, right? Oh yeah. It's the it's the it's the power fantasy of having yeah. control over these huge events and it's and just this like another way of like desensitizing war yeah and the human cost of it because it's like you, you've got you you're on the sat at a big table and you're pushing you're like a croupier <laughs> with people's lives and you're like yeah. pushing soldiers over here and if we attack them from the flank then we would get yeah. the high ground and we did it and we won the day and it's like but there's it's so divorced from yeah what's actually happening yeah, and, and, and obviously you see that yeah. these days and stuff such a huge long history of kind of war as a game and game is war essentially if you yeah. know if think of like you know play it play it play the game this idea of going off to war as well being this like yes. especially in britain and kind of edwardian period this kind of 
Christian masculinity that was informed by public school sport that was often like you know oh go on you know and it's this adventure and it's <laughs> a lot of focus around play and that and it's you know they kind of you know yeah. cricket and blah 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 and then also the idea of yeah the general and 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 um a lot of war games as well were striving for this idea of some kind of military le- legitimacy this idea of oh you'll feel just like a general and i think there's something there's a lot going on there and i think well as a grand uh, nah, should i mm. <laughs> There's an idea of having control over something that you may have no control over. And the idea of, of something that is probably, if you think about the world wars, affecting your life hugely and having some control, having some say, having some idea mm. that, you know, there's something to that. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> but yeah. there's a, but there is there's an element, because that's what games do, right? They can, especially as history games, they condense everything. And they condense it down and they um yeah and and they add systems yeah. to things that often just can't have systems like don't have systems the idea of like i always i always like i mean i love civ i play civ so much but the idea of like sure. culture like culture being this like quantifiable thing yeah. done by like tourism <laughs> yeah. the like it's just yeah. such a weird thing like it's yeah. just we take these really like complex things from history and then like jam a mechanic on it and like yeah that's the, <laughs> yeah, that exactly, will fit yeah, yeah. and it's but yeah, there's a sorry I rambled off there oh, no. into something. That totally idea different. like a, a cultural victory is quite funny. Yeah, it's like because <laughs> yeah. you got this many culture points. And yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. Well, how do you think games could incorporate history in a more meaningful way? Then do you think? I mean, that's not good exactly question. the easiest thing to go. Oh yeah, just do this. But you know what? Here's yeah. Here's my ten point guide yeah, to yeah, better yeah, history. Yeah. Um, I think. I think there's a whole bunch of like there's a whole bunch of practical stuff that can be done. I think if you bring in a historical expert into your game, they should be brought in at the very beginning. I think because research and informing stuff is part of the initial creative process. I think you can always tell when a game has had a historical expert jammed on at the end to ask, oh, well, what color would that have been? You know, like what's yes. you know what kind of hat would they wear at that point? Like you can just tell. Like it's just it's and there's. You, your game doesn't have to be, you know, quote unquote accurate. I don't think anything can be accurate. So I always like say, so I'm always like, imagine air quotes every time I say accuracy because I don't think anything can be accurate. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's a, a, a pointless pursuit. Right, okay. Um, but I think that idea of kind of allowing research to be a creative process, getting experts in really early, using them as part of your creative team. Um, I think also refocusing, I think just a lot of refocusing really, because, you know, a lot of a lot of the stories we've told from history are, you know, white male, you know, classic stuff. And this idea of refocusing our attention is really important. And there's all these in, you know, history is full of these weird things and power dynamics and 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 very strange aesthetics that would probably be, you know, have a lot of, you know, creative purchase to them but I think there's also an element of when I've talked to some game designers the idea of being worried about getting it wrong the idea of kind of um well I don't want to do it wrong I don't want to and I totally get that because I think the more we focus on the idea of like oh well that's not you know the accuracy yeah I think that's incredibly reductive and not helpful to anyone Mm. um and instead it's about it's about using research in a really informative way and understanding where research comes from understanding the historical process and I think that's what a good historical expert will help you do um and yeah and also there's just fundamental stuff about like yeah like how to understand different sources how to read different sources mm. like there's a when I've kind of spoken to you know because I've had for years a lot of the conversation you know I'll have history departments go to me and be like oh well how do we engage with this and then I'll have a developer going to me oh how do I engage with this and the, the problem is is that they both speak very different languages mm. and they work on very different time frames and so jamming the two together can often not be very helpful. Yeah. And so it's, I think it's just this idea of dialogue, really, just more dialogue, more discussion. And it's, yeah, and there's, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of things. I think, I think, yeah, refocusing, understanding the value of research, doing research and seeing research not as like an answer to a question, but as a, just letting it inform whatever it is. Yeah, maybe through to the actual game yeah, play and the design of the it. the vast majority of research, like you'll only see a tiny, tiny bit of it probably in the final product, but it will inform everything. Like Yeah, and yeah. also like with hist- historical bits, it almost becomes like um, 
uh, treated like, a, depending on the size of the studio and what have you, but it mm. treated like a marketing point or a, a selling point rather than like something they wanted to do. You know, look at the, like you're saying, they go, and, and if you look carefully, the uh, yes. the rooftops are the correct color. So, oh, yeah, that's and always like, oh, history. Yeah, it's that's <laughs> always, I think that's the issue, how it's marketed and how it's then used is. But it'd be interesting to have like a, 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 a war game historical war game that isn't about tactics and placing your soldiers in the right yeah. place and it's about and maybe about the people affected in the middle of a, of a war that's right. what i remember with uh, battlefield one when battlefield right. one came out and i played a bit of the single player campaign yeah. and i think the opening to the single compla- uh, single player campaign is really interesting like i think it's really affecting because you basically play these different soldiers and they inevitably die yes. and it has their birthday and their death date yeah and that, i think that is a really powerful thing i did like that yeah and because they do it like as a as a tutorial yeah and whilst making you go oh yeah well yeah oh shit yeah yeah, yeah this yeah. is horrible and it's really smart actually because it's, it's really i thought that was really yeah. well done and they'd obviously put in a lot of research and time the actual developers but then the marketing for battlefield one was appalling it was atrocious it was you know because it was this online gamer campaign you know it was that hashtag just world war one things and it would be like oh when you oh shit I forgot about that when you're when you're I don't know what it is like when you're posse or fire in the club it'll be like a man of a flame yeah and it was obviously the battlefield one came out around uh you know anniversaries of 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 and it's just oh my god it was just so I was just kind of high I mean it gave me a lot to work with in my lectures like not (laughs) it was really useful for that aspect yeah but it was just it was yeah that's the problem with that size marketing not speaking to because you can see how that happens because they, they will have probably you know, i'm saying this now yeah oh, no i've gone into i've gone into things i don't know about but like I, think... I know about triple a development but <laughs> i imagine there may have been a team dedicated to making that tutorial yeah and and making it work and they will have had been because these places are full of really smart people yeah. with brilliant ideas because they have to be that talented to work there it's just the size of the place some, yeah. something like that and they will have gone what if we do it like so in tutorials it's a short it's a short bit of gameplay who else has a short <laughs> bit of life yeah soldiers in this you know in, yeah. in wars you know especially in this war right so it fits weirdly fits thematically yeah. with the tutorial it's almost like if you were a soldier in the war, you you, you played kind of a tutorial. Well, this is how to run up mm. and shoot someone. You know, you might catch one person. Oh, you're dead. That's the end of your game. Um, and I think there's. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a military historian. Yeah. I'm not an expert in 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 these wars or things like that. Yeah. But I think there is. There's a lot to be said about like. I think I think, kind of, games trying to say this kind of thing, especially Call of Duty does a lot, where it's like, oh, you'll feel like you know, you'll feel exactly what it. And it's like you won't. You won't ever feel like what it's no. to feel like that. You'll have no idea of the consequences of the lifelong. You know, that's another thing. You can make an impactful thing, but yeah. you can't sell it on this idea mm. that it's you know. And that's the um, whole thing. Speaking to the previous episode with Lexus Trust, and they they were in the army from age of fifteen to eighteen, mm. uh, and they were saying like it's not, it doesn't have even if when they try and create this, uh, there's an emotional impact yeah. when we're telling you about the nature of war. Like Alexis was saying, it is possible to do that in a game, but COD doesn't, hasn't done it yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they were talking about Spec Ops Align and how that's like, that, that's got, that, that goes some way to, yeah. to actually making a point and, and cause it, it looks at the human cost of it rather than like, cause with COD, it's always a bit like, it's a tough job and, but you know, yeah, but these brave people yeah. like, and and not saying people you know in the army aren't don't have tough job, but but it's 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 a recruitment advert. I mean, yeah, the Call of Duty. I I I used to, when I um I used to use the Call of Duty World War Two opening as an opening to my lecture to history students about how video right. games use history because it's essentially just Band of Brothers. It's a bunch of American guys on a mm. thing, and they're like, oh, you know, I'm blue, bro, you know, and all this. Mm. And it's, it's kind of like patriotic uh, yeah. sadness. <laughs> it's uh, it's, and I think there's also a lot going on in terms of living memory, and I see that come up a lot. Like the people are dying who are in these wars. We don't. We we are losing that living memory. It's no longer. Mm. It's going to be a thing that people don't remember soon. And I think a lot of our problems stem from that because then these things are kind of weaponized and mm. used in a way. Um, I I found that you know when I was I was kind of. You know, I tweeted uh, about the Battlefield One thing and kind of saying like, "Hey, I think this is kind of disrespectful and a 
not okay. Mm. And I had, you know, obviously a bunch of angry gamer men who were who were furious at the fact that that I that I might dare question uh, a thing. And uh, the the thing that they said a lot that keep kept kept coming up was, well, um, you know, no one's alive from that war. You know, no or barely anyone's alive from that war. You know. It, it doesn't matter therefore and this idea and I was just like and I was just like oh god there's so much to unpack here I don't have I don't have the time or energy to do this all the characters in a no talk. and I think that's one of the reasons why like Assassin's Creed has gone to ancient history because the, I think the closer you come the, the harder it gets and I remember talking to um I when I was talking to one of the developers of Assassin's Creed and the historical expert and they were kind of saying how going back to ancient Egypt and ancient Greece was like really liberating and um, because when they did syndicate in Victorian London it was the kind of the most modern one they've ever done and all of a sudden because you know this the assassinations are you you know sometimes they're real assassinations or they'll have you know real people who were Templar evil Templars you know things like that all of a sudden that becomes incredibly difficult when someone's great granddaughter or someone's great grandchild is still alive and uh. suddenly it's like oh okay maybe this idea of just like throwing this evil like, on top of people yeah. who existed suddenly becomes a bit more complicated I think we need well a lot of people do do this already but i think it's great to broaden our understanding of what a historical game is mm. and i remember hearing someone say that oh red dead redemption isn't a historical game because it's not in a it's in a fictional american state but it is a historical game it just yeah it is. Well, of course it is yeah <laughs> it's, so yeah so we have to our, i think we need to like settle down our ideas of accuracy and stuff like that because they're not helpful um i think we you need to talk about good research ethical research how it's implemented why it's implemented in such a way and and the site and also because accuracy is being used by this incredibly toxic community right there's mm. it's the reason why you can't have a woman in a game why you can't have mm. uh you know a, a person of color or things like that mm. and so i think I, I wish and some historians are doing this and they're fantastic but i wish more i, th I wish it was if historians are interested in public history and media and where people are learning their history and it is happening there are some really great historians doing it and more and more i'm seeing like even in the f like five years i've been doing this there are more and more uh history departments picking up on it but it really needs to be tackled properly like it really needs to be addressed yeah if you want to you know and especially with everything that's going on with like rise of you know right wing and fascism and all of that and like it's come on historians get <laughs> get in there like because there's yeah, a lot of there's a lot of like in. bad history that's being used to justify terrible yeah. things yeah yeah and uh, historians do do that that's what historians do but i think uh, video games and again i don't want to dismiss the work of people who are doing it and are doing a fantastic job I just wish that in when I go to a conference and I mention video games, I'm not met with vacant stares the vast majority of the time. <laughs> you might not know the answer for this. Oh God, okay. But what are your goals with Ooh. the history of play and, and, and researching this and that kind of thing, like after it's done and or, or whilst you're doing it? Oh God, the like impossible going question. Forward, how would you like to use that research? I suppose we've kind of been talking about that just now. But yeah. Like, it's, yeah, that's a hard question. I yeah. think it's difficult because, uh, <laughs> you know, academic uh, job security is, is not an existent thing, really. No. Uh, so what I end up doing, you know, God knows what I'll end up doing but I would, because, so one of the things I, I, my research is interdisciplinary. I argue it's very interdisciplinary and I get quite annoyed because, especially when I was applying for PhD, a lot of places say, oh, hey, we love interdisciplinary research. It's, you know, it's the latest buzzword. Yeah, it's really cool. Everyone should be doing it, <laughs> but they don't actually support people in doing it properly. Uh, yeah. And I'm lucky in that the place I'm going to, uh, Royal Holloway, University of London, um, has given me, they've given me my, you know, history supervisor, who's a fantastic historian. They've also given me a supervisor in geography um, because I, I 
in, in ways of understanding how people negotiate a flat space, understanding how people negotiate maps is really helpful. Mm. And that comes into human geography. Um, and then they've also given me an advisor in game studies, which is like so rare. Like I was like, really at a university? Really? Oh, wow. That's so uh. yeah. And so they've actually enabled me to do that. And I want to, I would love to create more spaces for people who want to look at these kind of things and, and to meet and to actually share ideas. And there are, it sounds, it sounds incredibly big headed. Like it's like, that doesn't exist. It does exist. There are places that exist, but just it's, it's a hard thing to get into yeah and i realize how lucky i've been uh doing it and all the privileges i've had to be able to do it and so to help people who are interested in that and also to get a variety of voices in it so it's not just yeah. a bunch of white middle class people talking about it yeah, you know sure. that's yeah yeah it's yeah because otherwise how do you get that perspective and how exactly you get that? like there's yeah like that's you you can't do it otherwise um and so i think that's really important to me and i think yeah i i think I just want to keep doing my research. I want to I want to do a lot more of it and I want to make it easier for other people who want to do similar research. Start with bad bottle opening sound, end or snorts. Yeah, fade That's in the... with like... <laughs> fade out with... <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. <laughs>